Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate that prayer this morning. Well, we are continuing in our ongoing study of the Gospel of John to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 and verses 28 through 37. That will be the Bible text that we will be focusing on this morning. As I have shared with you for the last two, 11 and 44 of those in chapter 11, there are 57 verses in John 11 and 44 of those verses focus on Jesus and Lazarus. So what I have done, I have taken that section on Jesus and sermons down into four different sections or four different sermons that I am sharing with you. And this morning we come to part three. We've seen part one and part two, and this section is part three. But for those of you who may be visiting with us this morning, especially if you're watching on live stream and maybe you're even tuning in for the first time, let me do a brief review of where we've been. In part one, we were introduced to a man named Lazarus, and we were also introduced to his sisters, Mary and Martha, and they are from the village of Bethany. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is ill. And Jesus announces that Lazarus' illness and his subsequent death will be for the glory of God. Jesus says that Lazarus is going to die for the glory of God. And so he and his disciples, because this will be an important teaching moment for them, head to Bethany to where Lazarus and Mary and Martha are. In part two, we see that when Jesus and the disciples come to the outskirts of Bethany, just outside the village, they find out that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus has been dead for four days by the time that Jesus and the disciples get there. And Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and she has this amazing conversation with him. This, in essence, divine, eternal conversation. And it's in that conversation that Jesus proclaims the fifth of his seven great I Am statements in the Gospel of John. And he proclaims to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? And Martha responds in great faith. Martha responds with tremendous belief. And she says to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And that leads us to part three this morning, verses 28 through 37. And this is what we read. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Well, our first point this morning is Mary goes to Jesus. Martha had been there now. She goes and gets Mary. Martha had been speaking with Jesus outside the village of Bethany. And now Mary joins them. It says in verse 28, when she had said this, when Martha had said this, when Martha had said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was, co- who was coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And we know that both Mary and Martha love Jesus and they are see you too. Martha goes to Mary and says, Mary, Jesus wants to see you too. And so in verse 29, it says, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Oh, how she loved Jesus. She didn't just rise up and go. It says that she rose quickly and went to him. Now, in verse 30, it says, Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village. That's an important piece of information for us. He had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So Jesus, and we know that his disciples are with him, stays on the outskirts of Bethany. Why doesn't Jesus go into Bethany? Why doesn't Jesus go to the house? Well, there's a very simple answer for that. Jesus is on a mission. His purpose, his mission is not to go to the house. His mission, his purpose is to go to the tomb. And evidently the tomb is going to be somewhat near where he is at on the outskirts of the village. So he stays there. He doesn't go into the village. He doesn't go to the house. And then in verse 31, it says, When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep here or to weep there. Now, so Jesus stays on the outskirts of Bethany and he says, Mary, have Mary come to me. Martha, go get Mary and have Mary come to me. I think there's another reason he stayed on the outskirts. That's because he knew when Mary came, and I think he genuinely wanted to see Mary and talk with Mary, but I think Jesus also knew that when Mary came, those who were consoling her would also come too, and that's what it says. Those who were consoling her, when they saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb and, and, and weep there, and you see, Jesus, in his providence, in his sovereignty, he knows all of this. You see, I believe that Jesus also remains on the outskirts of the village because he is intensifying the drama for what he is about to do. We will see next week. Next week, we will get to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But now, for the purpose of his own glory, 
and for the purpose of teaching his disciples. He wants a crowd. He wants people to be there. We know that Martha is there. We know that Mary is there with Jesus. We know that the disciples are there with Jesus. Now those who were consoling Mary, those Jews who were at the home, mourning and weeping and grieving with her, they're coming too. So Jesus is preparing us for what we're going to learn about next week. So Mary comes to Jesus, not only to talk with him, but also to worship him. In verse 32, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't that interesting? She says exactly what Martha said. That's exactly what Martha said in the last passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. They both say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as I shared with you last week, they're not scolding Jesus. They're not saying, Jesus, if you'd only hurried here, if you'd only been faster, my brother would not have died. No, they're not saying that at all. This is an expression of grief. These two sisters, and we will see this so vividly as we move along, they love their brother so much. And he's died And we can gather that he's probably died somewhat unexpectedly. He may have died younger. And they're mourning and grieving for him. And she's simply saying, Lord, you are so powerful. You are so amazing. I know. I know if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's not scolding him. She's simply stating how much she loves him and how much she believes in him. But notice, it says... When she came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. You know, we have a lot to learn from Mary. It seems like whenever Mary is mentioned in the New Testament, she's always worshiping Jesus. She seems to have this heart just filled with praise and adoration of Mary and Martha. And Martha is distracted with all the preparations that had to be made. It is Mary who sits at his feet listening to his teaching. And the thought is she's just enthralled with him. She's just totally overcome with who he is and she wants to take in everything he says. And then in Luke chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 14, as I've mentioned before, it is Mary who comes to the home of Simon the leper where Jesus is visiting And Mary takes this very expensive perfume and anoints Jesus' body with it. And Jesus says that she is anointing his body for burial. It was a beautiful act of worship. And now when she comes to Jesus, she doesn't just come to him, but she falls at his feet. Oh, there is so much, so much that we can learn from Mary. Totally focused, obsessed, if you will, with her love and adoration for Jesus. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning, is the deep love. point is really the heart and soul of this message. It is the deep love of Jesus. In this passage of Scripture, we gain some important insights into our Savior's tender heart and love. 
And I want to say to all of us this morning, we need this passage of Scripture. As you're reading through the Bible, sometimes it's easy to come to this passage and see it as almost incidental information because you're waiting to get to Lazarus being raised from the dead. You want to get to the good stuff. But, oh, let me tell you, I need this passage. You need this passage. In verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. When he sees Mary crying, and he sees those who are consoling her, those who have come with her, they're also crying. It says he was not only moved, but he was deep standard version, which is the version I have greatly troubled. Now, in the ESV, the English standard version, which is the version I happen to be preaching from this morning, they have an excellent translation. That's really what it means deeply. Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, some people, some commentaries say that Jesus was deeply moved and troubled just because of sin and how it has ravaged our world. It has caused death. It has caused these people to cry. It has caused them to be in pain. And I do think that is there. I do think he was grieving over the effects of sin in this world, but I think there's more than that. And I think if you were to study carefully this passage, you would find that there's more than that. Because in the direct context here, Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled because he sees Mary crying. And he sees these people crying. They're weeping. He can tell that they're hurting, that they're in pain. And his spirit is deeply moved. Folks, they their grief, their mourning, their sorrow. God sees their pain, their grief, their mourning, their sorrow, and he's deeply moved, and he is greatly troubled. I don't know about you, but I want to know that, that when you hurt and I hurt, he is deeply moved by our pain, by our sorrow, by our discouragement, deeply moved and greatly troubled. And in verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Oh, in chapter 11, and I mentioned this briefly a couple of weeks ago, we see Jesus in the fullness of his humanity throughout the gospel of John. In fact, one of the major themes of the gospel of John is the deity of Christ. Christ is fully God, but let us also know at the same time He is fully man. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. At the very same time, we call that in theology the hypostatic union. And that is on display here. We see Jesus in the fullness of his humanity. He says, where have you laid him? In his divinity, he knew where Lazarus was. He knew where the tomb was. But in his humanity, he allows himself to be Human, though perfect, he is human. And he says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Do you see the emotion? Do you see the passion in this passage? 
these people are saying, Jesus, come, come and see. We'll show you where the tomb is. We'll show you where Lazarus is laid. And then verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Let me tell you, this is a powerful verse. Now, I know sometimes you hope when they're handing out scripture memory verses, you get John 11.35. You're just hoping they hand you John 11.35 for your scripture memory assignment. But let me tell you, this is a powerful verse. Two words. That ought to affect us in the deepest parts of who we are. Jesus wept. It literally means this, don't miss it. It literally means Jesus privately burst into tears. Privately burst into tears. I don't know about you. I'm just amazed. God is crying. God is crying. God in the flesh. Jesus with all the attributes, the fullness of God's attributes, and he is Weeping, He sees Mary. He sees these people. They're weeping. And he cries. It's not the only time Jesus, we see Jesus crying in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, one of my favorite verses on prayer in the New Testament. Hebrews 5, 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. To the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He offered up prayers and petitions. With loud cries. And tears. I don't know about you. But that really convicts me. I ask myself do I pray like that? Do you pray like that? This is during his days on earth. He would pray to the Father with loud cries and tears. With tears. Have you ever cried when you prayed? In Luke 19.41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Isn't that amazing? In Luke 19, toward the end of his life, he comes to Jerusalem and he starts crying. He weeps over Jerusalem. He knew, here's Jerusalem, where the temple of the Lord is, the great Jerusalem. And yet he knew that many of the people there, especially the Jewish religious leaders, were going to reject him. He knew that in a short amount of time, the people were going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. He knew that in 70 AD, that the Romans were going to come. And they were going to destroy Jerusalem and kill most of its inhabitants. And he cries. He cries over Jerusalem. In John eleven thirty five, it says, Jesus, God wept. And in verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Isn't that amazing? The people there, Jesus' emotion. 
his crying was so intense that they said to one another, see how he loves him? See how much he loves Lazarus? Aren't you glad we don't serve a stoic, indifferent God? He weeps. He said, look at him. Look how much he loves him. And then in verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You know what? They're just like us. We're just like them. We say the same thing. When we have a loved one pass away, someone we dearly loved and were hurt by their death, and we say, why did God let them die? Couldn't he have healed them? Couldn't God have miraculously cured them of the cancer? Couldn't God have kept them alive? And we we do in our humanness. We ask those kinds of things. We do. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, couldn't he? You know, he opened the eyes of the man who was born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus alive? So we come to the end of this passage, and it's filled with emotion. And again, it is preparing our hearts for next week in a dramatic, vivid fashion. But I want to add one more thing this morning. I think it is vitally important to every single Christian to know that Jesus wept. I need to know that. You need to know that Jesus cried. You see, Jesus wants to feel every pain you've ever felt. He wants to know that pain that you know. When you stand beside the grave of that one you love more than any other person in the world. He wants to know that pain that you know. When you stand at the grave of that one you love with a deep love that is beyond explanation. And he wants to know that pain that you feel when you watch the casket. And you're looking at that casket and you feel that pain and you feel that emptiness in the deepest part of your soul. Jesus can say, I know. I know. Maybe no one else really knows how you feel, but he does. He knows how you feel. Your your Savior weeps with you. I don't know about you. I need to know that. He wants to feel everything you feel. He's felt the pain of death that you've felt. He let himself feel it. Somebody once said, in every pang, and that is so true, the man of sorrows had a part. And that is so true. In every pain, that rips at your heart. The man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, feels it with you. He feels it with you. We need to know this morning. We need to know that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. We need 
to know that Jesus wept. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus was deeply moved by the weeping of Mary and those with her. Thank you that Jesus wept. Oh, Lord, we thank you for that verse. We have a Savior who knows and understands and feels our deepest grief and sorrow and pain. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning that this passes name. Amen.